entering the DGTC. Are you ready for a deep dive? And one get most of the crap. Can't believe I said that. I've been doing this since 2008. What the fuck do I know? Drawing cans is like kryptonite. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's different. Uh, loading up elbow logos. Yeah, uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome to the DGTC, a united team of design professionals creatively bound to bring unique inspiration and uncommon perspectives. You can email us listener questions or topic ideas to hello at dgdcpod.com or check out our website, dgdcpod.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at dgdcpod. Plus now you can join in on the conversation. We have a Facebook group. Just pop onto our website and hit the community tab at the top. Now on with the show. Hey guys, wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by our friends at Skillshare. With so many different amazing and important conversations happening throughout the world right now, it's really important that your voice is as essential as ever. And the way to do that is to explore classes throughout the Skillshare library. That helps you express what you're feeling through creative self-discovery, or if you're just looking for something cool and new to expand your creative offerings. Right now, the one we wanted to talk a little bit about was by Paula Scher. You all know her from Pentagram. She has a terrific course called Dynamic Brand Identity, Designing Logos That Evolve. And she's going to take you through what she calls her liquid identity. It's like a recognizable dynamic branding system that can be adapted across all different kinds of mediums. It's a 70-minute class And she goes through all the great stuff as far as their introduction, a really great kind of thing about all her research, finding solutions, and how she simplifies down her logo process. The cool thing is you actually go through the whole process with her, and she's going to show you some terrific ones and examples from her past, like Jazz at Lincoln Center or the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Skillshare offers memberships with meaning, so much to explore, real projects to create, and Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real, real growth. Members get unlimited access to all of the thousands of inspiring classes on there. All of them are hands-on, all of them offer feedback, and you have a community of millions to work with. So there are no ads and there is everything to learn. It's basically about $10 a month for an annual subscription. So what are we offering for you again? Well, Explore all this creativity at Skillshare.com slash DeepEnd2. And the first 1,000 of our listeners, people like you, who use that link will get a free trial of the Skillshare Premium Membership. Receive free access to thousands of classes for a limited time. Be one of the first of the DGDC listeners of 1,000 to sign up at Skillshare.com slash DeepEnd2. All right, guys. Well, welcome back. Uh, it is November. What is going on with this year? <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> no, Thanksgiving is around the corner, basically. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, oh, it's my weird. Gosh. We already started putting to, compiling our list of, of grocery items because you don't want to be the last to like order exactly. them from groceries on, online or get there to... Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Have you ever been there though, where you're walking through the through the grocery store maybe three days prior to the holiday, and there's one, what is the the Butterball brand? Is that uh-huh. the popular? Oh yeah. Yeah, there's just one lonely frozen turkey just sitting there. It's like, oh fuck, I gotta take that one. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Have you gotten yours already? Does that no. happen though? Yeah, I no. don't even. The vegetarian no. doesn't know. <laughs> I'm just looking for my tofurkey uh, box that's at Whole Foods. And I'll bring well, that to the family. I love a good <laughs> traditional Thanksgiving, but I love doing something out of the box, though, too. Mm-hmm. We did yeah. um, Cornish game hens not too long ago, and it was amazing. Like, yeah. Jason cooked up something beautiful with that. I like going oh, a little awesome. off, off the rails. Yeah, I think we're foregoing the turkey this year in favor of something else. It's yeah. all about the sides anyway, right, Jordan? Oh, like, it's yeah. never... Love that. <laughs> Brussels sprouts are back. Yes. I love that. Yes. Mm. God, sweet yes. potatoes. I know. Um, oh my god! Now All those roasted hungry. veggies are the best. <laughs> we've we've had our family tradition has been that we always have someone makes lasagna. That is just like be, <laughs> oh my it, gosh, you guys are so Italian. It's so Italian. Yeah. I love it. And, and what's funny is when my mom was still with us, she used to make it and put. She'd make it specifically for me because I didn't like cheese when I was a kid, and she yeah. made it with jam packed full of meatballs. And here I am, the one that turned out to be vegetarian at the end. So yeah. now I'm so like, bring on no the other, cheese. Is there no other vegetarian in your core family? Uh, not I many, mean, no. Everybody's starting to get a little more conscious. Yeah. You know, we have a lot sure. more people, you know, that are having less, and that's great. But um, I just love it because it's like carbo load day for me because it's yeah. nothing but sure. sides. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and it's <laughs> totally. just the best. So I love it. Yeah. What, what's, how's, ev- how's everybody else doing otherwise? What kind of anything interesting new work-wise or – settling down for the holidays what's going down we have a new account that is re- i'm losing sleep over to this one i have to be honest really? it's like over my head it's so intimidating <laughs> <laughs> those are the best though right mm. i know I it makes your it makes your brain tick it is yeah. true i am grateful for that um good but i'm leading the project with other team members and so there's just a little bit more of that pressure to wow yeah sure and yeah. um and but and it's fintech. It's in the land of AI and fintech. So of course I'm just yeah, my brain's getting stretched in a good way. But you know what? If it weren't for being a Love consultant it. in this fashion, we would we would lose sight of that. It's a really amazing perk to be able to have these discovery phases where you otherwise wouldn't be able to be aware or learn these areas otherwise i mean it's amazing yeah. it's amazing mm. yeah and that's where you learned i think when you stretch your boundaries yeah. on your own yeah. oh god the next time you're you, you go into it so much more confident when the next big challenge comes i well, love that's those. where i should be in all and and that's where i should be because i already have this referral came from an ai company that we supported a couple years ago so i should be there but i'm like it's, it's just it's just who i am like and i think that that's a good thing you should never be totally comfortable right no i'd never want to be yeah you got a challenge that's how you, you grow got a challenge. always yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah what about yeah, you jordan sure. what do you what what's new with you <laughs> dude I, for some reason i just uh it's been the busiest year i've had and so at least crazy. around this season it's it, it is nuts uh and I'm still just like I don't know whether it's COVID or just quarantine, but I was just going to say, is stop. that ramifications of pandemic? Like, what is going on? It's either that or it's just like I'm too scared not to take on the work. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what it is, right? right. Just the fear because you don't that know. underline. Because yeah. I know you, you're not saying no to a lot right now, are you? You're no, just like, <laughs> and, and, but the opportunities <laughs> like, are still kind of there. It's funny the, the the work I'm getting is definitely pivoted in favor of like companies that are doing better during the pandemic. Like hmm. I'm doing a lot of like video game stuff, which my video game knowledge really lands in like 
the Super Nintendo era. I'm not a huge gamer, but oh, interesting. That's cool though. But there's been a lot of opportunity there, uh, wow. uh, which is super fun. Yeah. How did that connection come about for you? I uh, so there's a bunch of like agencies here in Portland, and I've contracted with a couple of them that like do stuff exclusively for like Xbox or these video games that are kind of around here. Uh, and so just through that, just through networking and working with these teams, uh, it's given me some opportunity to partner up, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Super fun. That's really, really wonderful. And isn't it speak to the location that you're at, too? I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's the thing. It's like I know remote, you can kind of work anywhere. And I think yeah. definitely COVID's proven that. But I will say, like, you know, a lot of my biggest connections have come through local in some form you know you know what this was years ago but we and nick it might have been when you stepped on in the early phase we had some listener questions that were along the lines of i live on 20 acres like it's not a metropolitan area Mm, how do i obtain work what do you suggest and there is something to say that that, that something that speaks to that i mean it is interesting to have those local connections um, yeah. Especially if you've had, if you've been in a creative agency and you've maintained those connections, you haven't burnt any bridges. Like you just never know. Like over ten years span, what can yeah. happen from that? Yeah, I think. I mean, my dream is to like you know maybe move outside of the city. Like we're in down like downtown inner Portland, but mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. I think to get started, it does make it kind of easier. And I don't know why that mm-hmm. is, uh, but. But yeah. I think, yeah, for, for sort of making those connections, it feels easier when, at least for me, it's easier to land a local job. If I say, yeah. hey, I'm here in Portland, because, yeah. you know, most people I think are opted to hire someone local. Maybe it's because they think they're in the same mindset or there's just yeah. some weird unspoken camaraderie together. But, mm-hmm. you know, I do find that local work is easier for me to land for the most yeah. part. It just just, I think there's just a certain kind of like comfort level in, in approach, if they've approached you or whatever, you feel like there's a, you got, Oh, well, there's one thing in my checkbox. I'm, I'm local to them for sure. And actually that confidence is great. Yeah. What about you, Nick? What's going uh, on? Every client is like so on board with like, I've never seen them more proactive about what 2021 is going to look like. Like they, I think one silver lining for them is the fact that they are looking at the next year and planning much more efficiently, much more strategically. And Mm. I love that. Like three of them came to me in the same week with like, can we go over plans for the next year? And I was like, wow, what a trip for them all to do that. I I would say that that's a ramification of pandemic too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you have to be more efficient as a business right now, Mm -hmm. like you just have to be able to like, where's the fat? Where am I cutting it? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm noticing that same sort of mentality, which is fantastic as a designer. It's like, oh, yeah, let's oof. plan months ahead. Let's not try yeah. to start a project that's due in two weeks, you know? <laughs> I love that. That it, it has made a big difference in just the way I'm attacking things. I feel like last week was a great week to have uh, with all three of them to have that week of discovery and actually work mm. and look and research and look at competitors, awesome. yeah. um, get great inspiration and stuff. I just don't feel like I've had that chance over the last um, maybe eight months because it was so like need it tomorrow. And and again, that's another thing. Like you got to be poised for both ways, right? I just you got to know. Topic idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because I when <laughs> make a note. Yes. I, what doesn't this happen all the time? And you accommodate, right? Oh yeah. You, you know, 
and everybody in marketing is the mercy of some, of sales or somebody else. Like there's sure. always a chain, right? Hmm. Well, come on. At the end of the day, we're trying to manage all these projects and accounts that we have on our plate. So do you up? Do you charge? Do you charge a rush? Mm, do sure. you have you implemented that is yeah. it appropriate how much is appropriate yeah if for long-standing accounts at what point do you you know bring that up altogether true yeah. and i've had that conversation with a lot of younger designers who are in that role and they got a few rush jobs they didn't know what to do and you're right maybe that's a great one to to cover because i think even though i i'm seasoned with it when it comes to me sometimes it might be some different arrangement or something different and it's so quick, but it's still a very robust project. So you're like, I got to make the best out of this for myself too, before mm-hmm. I say yes too. Mm-hmm. And then how do you communicate that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I know there's pricing episodes everywhere, but I do think like it's so situational that I think it can be broken down in so much further, right? Like what do you do if yeah. they only need, you know, 20 minutes of work? Like, do you charge by the hour? Do you charge by yeah. half? Or like, if it's repeating or like sort of retaining client that only needs 20 minutes every week or whatever, like update shit. I don't know. Like, what do you do? And yeah. those are those situational things that it can get real dense. I but- think it will be just an outwardly thoughtful episode to, because I, I've never put it into action, but I, I think that it's, I think it's time. Yeah. Perfect. It's on the list. <laughs> yeah. All the ways you can it. price, man. Cause I, I, yeah. I, I, I price out stuff different for, Every project. Every time. Yeah. It's not always yeah. value-based. It's not no. always hourly. Like, no, it's I'm so with you. I'm with situational. you. Yeah. yeah. Totally. We can tuck that in our pockets. <laughs> yeah. Good. We got <laughs> we'll it. That. I love it. Well, we want to uh, tell you a little bit about uh, today's interview and today's guest. Mikkel, do you want to give him a little bit of a, a um, kind sure. of a intro as to who we got to speak to? Sure. Well, this, um, th- this interview was just one one word that comes to mind is special. I mean, she's a gem yeah. to me. I mean, she's just genuine and she speaks from the heart. And before we had her, the three of us talked about n- knowing that her mom had passed when the pandemic was new and that it might be a sensitive topic. Make sure, don't go out of your way to dodge, but just try to organically allow it or don't bring it up yourself. And she brought it up and I thought that was gorgeous that she did. Um, And it was just, you know, not a side note, but something that she kind of took a big breath as she was explaining. And it just speaks to her personality, the warmth of her storytelling, her experience as a designer. Her mom was a designer. She, this is a part of her upbringing. Um, it's really kind of an emotional episode to me yeah. and in that regard. And she has experienced a dip with respect to the pandemic and sought a way to pull out a great story from that with a, a hobby and a fabulous following and some wonderful respect um through her Insta- instagram account and otherwise so it's just a beautiful episode inside and out yeah i've listened i've i've listened to it a couple of times oh that's yeah. cool I, I know i re-listened <laughs> to it again we should say it's with uh, a, a friend of ours annie atkins she was in dublin i believe when we yes. talked to her yes. correct mm-hmm. yes yep. and what yeah. a story i i don't think i've had a um, uh, an in- interviewed someone where I was taking more notes of like just great little 
advice and things that she said. It wasn't even the the, the typical tips. It was these things no. of just ways of thinking or how to yeah. reposition yourself as a potential person that someone would hire for projects and things like that, or how to think differently on who to go after as a job. And her her right. her confidence, yet no ego. I no. loved that about her, right? Yeah. That's very, very important that you brought that up. Very, And it's very sort important. of like par for the course for what she does. And if anyone doesn't know, one, you should stop and just go and, and, and look at her work because it's yeah. outstanding stuff. But she does a lot of stuff for film she does like background or prop work and um or graphic I, design for graphic film. i think that was work, right like she did what a bunch of stuff with wes anderson yeah. and spielberg and you know think about how long we've been in this creative industry and i it just didn't occur to me that there was a full-on yeah a, a, a niche that went toward all of this i mean i don't made me feel a little bit dumbfounded <laughs> well yeah. and that's the thing where it's like man, nick when you mentioned like the ego check where she doesn't have one because i think in that line of work uh you can't like your stuff is meant to blend into the background and not sure be, but without it you don't have a scene you don't have a location you don't have a setting in a world she creates the world that these people act yeah. in so like what a treat to what get to like to talk to someone yeah oh my god yeah, yeah. And she's not in Hollywood too. That's the yeah, sure. I, I think that's her. That's like the best thing she's got going for her because she says it. She says it so nonchalantly about what she gets to work on and do. I remember this, the only time this had ever been a, a thought to me was when I would used to watch Mad Men and you'd see all the props and the d- things in the background. You're like, that wasn't just found objects. Someone had to go and recreate mm. and make mm-hmm. design. What yeah. was graphic design and packaging and signage and in and think branding? About how right? We might just take for granted easily how yeah. much dis- discovery and inspiration and referencing and research we do with on- mm-hmm. our online sources she cannot do that oh god she yeah exactly and she, she gives us do that. she gives us like a lot of great t- one of my favorite questions was and you'll see what she says was where do you get your inspiration from and she has some nuggets that you Ooh. should be writing down as well as far as when you want to go and look for particular things from periods of time and yeah. and mm. or genres of design so we should probably just shut up and <laughs> play this interview because <laughs> I wonderful. think the three of us could go on forever talking about Annie so yeah we really hope you enjoy this this is our interview with Annie Atkins And this is just super exciting because we've got Annie Atkins as our special guest here with us today. And this is, I mean, this is really quite extraordinary how quickly we were able to book this given that it's an international guest we have Come with on. us. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> Annie is based out of Dublin. It's so nice to have you with us, Annie. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. So um, Annie is known for her creative artworks in the filmmaking space, you may know, and both imaginary such as the box trolls which is incredibly creative animated production and then true story non-fictional based such as bridge of spies film from 2015 starring hanks man so (laughs) and although this particular talk of annie's was from 2017 i strongly encourage our listeners to quote unquote attend the secret world of graphic design for filmmaking on youtube or something similar it's fascinating that was really 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 well done and I would argue that for most of us as creatives, we strive to be noticed in one way or another. And in fact, this can dip into a huge discussion regarding social media and so forth, which Nick Jordan and I believe can just 
get so stinking out of hand these days. <laughs> but, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because I suppose in an unordinary sense, Annie's work is not really supposed to be entirely noticed in film production pieces. Um, so do you feel, Annie, like you had to kind of warm up to that reality of your niche, so to speak? I mean, before your work became known by the world, was it difficult to swallow that, for example, signage pieces blurred in the background at a subway station didn't, <laughs> didn't achieve recognition? You know? Hours of work. <laughs> right. Well, I once heard an art director in filmmaking describe graphic props as being all the things that everybody sees but nobody gives a shit about. <laughs> yeah. And I remember reading that. He tweeted it. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh, yeah, that's really accurate, actually. I mean, was it like, that's for me? Like, that sounds amazing. Like, yeah, it's yeah I such know. A, well, I, I suppose know. The, thing, the thing with graphics and film is that if you're working on a very realistic drama, which, which most filmmaking wants to be, I suppose then you really shouldn't notice the graphics. Like, people mm. only usually notice this stuff when it's wrong because graphic design usually has some kind of text or lettering in it. It's human nature that we want to read the things we see in the background, whether sure. that's shopfront signage or, I don't know, a poster warning of, like, a deadly disease or even if it's just something like a door number. Uh -huh. you, always re you always read that lettering, yeah. right? So yeah. I think graphic designers can get away with far fewer mistakes on a film set than other areas of the art department might. Like, if a table leg isn't quite the right period for the setting, it'll probably go unnoticed. Um, but if you use, you know, if you use Helvetica in a film set in the 1940s, forget about it. Yeah. You're, you're going straight to the IMDb goofs page. That is amazing. I, I love the ones you shared. Did it's it, so hilarious. Me too, me too. It's at any given point, do you find yourself a little bit obsessively checking that? Oh, I do check it. I check it a lot, actually. Um, you know, not, not because I have a kind of a beef with people who are like posting my mistakes online. I actually find it quite educational because yeah. there oh, are so nice. many, well, there are so many things that I just wouldn't think about. Like when I was on Bridge of Spies, which was Spielberg's Cold War thriller. So it's a true story and he Great wanted movie. everything to be like super realistic, you know, so the audience knew they were in a real time and place. Um, I had to draw up uh, the flags, the American Stars and Stripes flags for a courtroom scene, I think. And the film was set in 1957, but I drew... <laughs> Hang on, let me get this right now. I drew the flags as having... 50. 50 stars. Oh, you forgot right. Hawaii and <laughs> Alaska. <laughs> so this is before Hawaii and Alaska were states. Right, so right. The, the flag should have had 48 stars. And I, if you're an American graphic designer, you probably just know this without even thinking about it. Um, mm. But it just didn't occur I, to it, me. I'm sure you're I giving us a completely lot of messed that one up. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So that, so that, that got catalogued on, on the IMDb Goofs page. And when I, I, I didn't even know until I read that. I mean, I watched the movie and didn't notice. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so it can be an education. Yeah. <laughs> Um, source, see it yourself when the movie comes out, and you're like, "Oh shit!" How yeah. Sometimes, I mean, 
once the movie is out, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's mm-hmm, fine, done. you know? Mm-hmm. The, yeah, it's done. <laughs> oh, and ho- ho- hopefully, hopefully everybody's concentrating on the drama unfolding between the characters and the great yeah. plot, you know? Um, the worst thing is when you're halfway through shooting a film and you've made a mistake and it's an expensive mistake to correct, but it has to be corrected before filming ends. That's the worst. Yeah, exactly. that's fair. Yeah. You talked about the boxes from uh, the Budapest yeah right and, yeah. and there was a and and tell the story because i think it's hilarious how it came to how you found <laughs> out about it just a great introduction like welcome andy let's talk about all the mistakes <laughs> you made in your design career thank you so much for coming on <laughs> totally up to you we yeah, can just the, sl- slide into all the successes right now if we want Jesus. to <laughs> <laughs> well the mendel's the mendel's patisserie box the pink patisserie box from the grand budapest hotel is probably my biggest mistake in a film but it's also like one of the most beloved movie props i've ever made so yeah you know they're so iconic it's fine. right <laughs> <laughs> we did great. correct it we did correct the mistake before wow. the movie before the movie was released but i, I put a spelling <laughs> mistake on the box so uh it, it has the word patisserie on the box and everything we did for the film was pretty much everything was hand lettered so it never went through a digital spell check Oh wow! Um, and you know, it's a word of French origin. I should have double checked it, triple checked it. I didn't. Um, and about halfway through the shoot, I suppose a little bit more, even maybe, uh, Wes Anderson contacted me and said, "I think there's a spelling mistake on the Mendel's box." And I'm like, I really take a lot of pride in my spelling and grammar, you know. So I yeah. was, I was very much like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I take, I take a lot of pride in my spelling and grammar. Hold on there. Um, <laughs> and but he was right, of course. I put two T's in patisserie. Uh, it should be one T and two S's. And that's a tough and word. Two S's. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. Uh, so um, we had to correct that in post-production mm-hmm. which wow. which can be which can be really time consuming especially because that that prop appears in so many sets in the film mm-hmm. um and there's like zoom shots and tracking shots on it so it was Ooh. quite it's quite it was quite um it was quite a job but you know we fixed it we changed it and then afterwards after the movie was released uh that box kind of became a bit of an icon for the film yeah. and people started selling fakes on ebay um that wow. they'd e- made themselves i suppose um but i knew always knew if it didn't have the spelling mistake in it then it wasn't it was oh fake. that's amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then what uh, that's some your cer- years... that's your certificate of authenticity <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly and then some years later somebody contacted somebody called me they found my phone number online and they called me from an auction and said that there was one for sale and um, they just wanted to check if the story was true because this box didn't have, it did have the spelling mistake and they wanted to buy it. And I think they bought it for like $500 or something. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's fantastic. Wow. Because you made thousands of them, right? Like there were that one scene. Yeah, we made, I I can't remember the exact number that we made, but certainly hundreds anyway, because there was one Mm -hmm. scene, do you remember the scene where um, Zero and Agatha, they kind of fall into Mm -hmm. a big pile of them? Yeah, just surrounded by these things. Yeah, We had to have lots of repeats. A pink mountain, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a great, great (laughs) set, that one. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like, and this is putting it through the perspective of, I do a lot of like branding and logo design. And and usually this work, it's like we create something, it has hyper-focus on it, and then it kind of continuously lives and adapts and, and just like goes on. But your work, I imagine like you just spend 
so much time and effort in trying to figure out logistics and cr- making something happen, bringing it to life, shoot it, and then it kind of just lives in the film. And then w- what happened? Like, where does all this stuff go? Is it sentimentalized right. or is it just like we did? Does it, it all go for sale like that one piece? Yeah. <laughs> is that possible? Big storage unit? Because <laughs> you must have created a lot of pieces. Yeah. I mean, like, I look at like all my pieces. I'm like, yeah, I mean, these are cool. I can see where they live, and they. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these things just get thrown away. To be honest, it's di- it's different on a Wes Anderson yeah. film. On a Wes Anderson film, everything gets archived and sure. taken oh, taken so to an archive neat. somewhere. Um, so that's great, you know, everything's saved somewhere. But usually, like any TV series I work on, or most of the movies I work on, things just end up in a skip because people don't have the storage space. And especially yeah. with graf- graphic props, that generally are made out of paper. So they age very easily. Like it's very hot on sets. The actors' hands are very sweaty. Yes. <laughs> like any love letter or little note or anything is just going to is just going to get. Um, get so degraded that you could you couldn't use it again on another film anyway yeah um i think some set decorators keep things when i was talking to the set decorator from um do you remember the tom hanks movie big oh of course yeah i know it's like one of my favorite films and i i was speaking to the set decorator and he had kept so many pieces from that film and i was really interested in the do you remember zoltar the oh my god yeah the arcade machine yeah. who who grants his yeah. wish. Yes. Yeah, so he, he kind of grants his wish, wish and then he spits out uh, a little ticket, a little token at right. the bottom mm-hmm. machine. That's it's, it's just a card that says your wish is granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just really curious about that, about who had made it, you know, because it was kind of, the film is from a time before graphic designers were hired specifically for a film set. And the set decorator didn't know, he couldn't remember. Nobody that I spoke to on the film could remember. Um, but he had kept a copy of it in his basement for wow. the last. Oh my goodness! For the last what is it? Four, forty years, maybe. Easy, no. uh, thirty years at least, <laughs> right? Thirty years, yeah, maybe, yeah. And yeah. I, I think my my first question I was thinking of to ask you was: we all but we all struggle with budget and expectation of like, particularly whoever's in charge or whoever has the the, the wallet. How do you manage expectations of the creativity always winning, but the budget of I don't even know where you even start. We at least have models to know what a budget of a project we're working on, but you're th- dealing with such hypotheses of things. How do you deal with that? Um, I will say that graphic design for a film is generally not very expensive, mm-hmm. you know, compared to other areas of filmmaking. Like, it's not like hiring a helicopter or special animal effects. handler for the mm. day you know it's it's mostly it's mostly bits of paper that i print myself on my yeah. desktop printer um so if so if something comes up that is that is a bit of a spend um you speak to the art director about it and uh and they usually find a way to get the money if it's if it's really necessary i think the most expensive set piece i've ever made was a fake marble floor for the tv series penny dreadful oh yeah yeah, like in the olden days, that would have been a painter's job. So the scenic painters would have painted a, an MDF floor or whatever to look like it was marble. Yeah. But now it's moving more and more over to digital artwork, which is the graphic designer's realm. Um, so I, th- I, th- I think that one floor co- cost us like 40,000 euro or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And then you wow. did, a, you did the, um, the theater marquee. Is, I think that was for Penny Dreadful as well, right? Mm, Again, like yeah. where do you... like? I I could design anything, but do, do you have a 
limitation to know, like, don't go over this line because of, of the budget or maybe the timing? I, I mean, like where timing the parameters on, on sit. Oh, you do you do, mean like, like with respect to the detail? Yeah, like how, yeah, because it's, it looks like you have multiple stained glass and you have like all those sections. Like, I look at it so, like, like strategic, like, okay, how much is this, this going to cost? Do you get to maybe just design freely and show the comp and then let them figure it out? Or what's the process um, like? Well, I usually start with a concept drawing and then that concept drawing gets shown to the production designer and the art directors and Perfect. the director as well. And if it's felt, if it, if it feels like it's worth it, then then they usually green put light. some money to <laughs> green light it. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of something that hasn't been greenlit because it was too expensive. I suppose, I suppose I, I make a lot of fake letterpress things, yeah. um, and I usually make them digitally. Um, the only time I've really letterpressed something was for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Um, okay. So, so there are those kind of constraints, yeah. I suppose. Um, are you? I mean, I want to get to the the, the fake love love letters. Um, yeah. But but first, I I did just randomly think to myself, I wonder what are most minimal looking piece of art for filmmaking you've ever created to date might be. And I'm saying looking, which is not to say that it might be a piece that required the least amount of work. You know what I mean? Like you may have put a fair amount of the most subtle, but, but, but people that aren't in the creative space look at that and think, oh. It's pretty minimal and, and simple, simplistic, you know. Yeah, I, th I, I think most of the props I make are like that. They, they look, they look so simple. Like, I mean, when I give a talk or a presentation or we exhibit things, you know, of course I show like the beautiful pink chocolate boxes or the marquee. beautiful old stained glass marquee. Yeah, um, but that's only like a really small percentage of the work we make for a movie. Like most of the stuff I make is like piles of very boring legal documents on the desk of a solicitor um, or a notice board in the background that needs some like lost cat posters on it or like you know telephone numbers or scraps of things yeah. um, and there's no direction for any of this you know um, you kind of have to come up with it yourself and these are generally pretty boring pieces lots of like little handwritten things um normal things that would be in this anyone's settings really right like yeah. the things that would be on your random desk wh whoever you are yeah and these things mm. are not cataloged so if you need to design a beautiful chocolate box label that's fine because you have like got thousands and thousands of references for yeah. historical artifacts for this piece um, but if you want to design a notice board for a doctor's surgery corridor in the 1950s, <laughs> like nobody's archived this. Um, so I find a good way to go about researching that kind of thing is to go to a real contemporary doctor's surgery and photograph the real notice board in the hallway and then also research 1950s ah. printing techniques and try and marry the two. It's so um, immersive. I mean, I think that's maybe something where like, a simple piece of paper right like a surgeon's notes or something is like oh yeah that's in the background maybe it's out of focus but like the amount of thought that you have to get in you know, like you have to put yourself into that mindset of like if i'm a doctor in the 50s like what kind of fonts are we using here i got to figure out what fonts are available then or how the printing works printing like, okay, process right yeah it's not just coming out yeah. of an inkjet or something so like i gotta <laughs> you know and like even the paper is a little different back then or like is it you know so like the i just like the story that you create of something as simple as a background prop 
because you're you're putting yourself it's so immersive right and as creatives especially even listeners who are like our designers like if i'm going to design a wine logo i have to become sort of like immersed in that world of like okay what am i i'm a winemaker i'm like on a vineyard what am i seeing what am i smelling how am i going to incorporate this into the story yeah because everything really boils down to that and i think there's something really really cool about that much uh you know sort of environmental immersion into something as simple as a piece of paper i mean i think that's that's fascinating yeah yeah i think you really do have to immerse yourself in research from a certain period because the worst thing you can do is just try to imagine what you think it would look like yeah. because it's almost always completely the opposite or it's, it's, it'd be a mistake yeah it's yeah. a mistake it's it's also you know it's never really quite as interesting as it actually was back in the day. We, mm-hmm. we have we make so many assumptions about what things look like. It's like the old right. old thing of of everything being sepia toned. You know, I often work on a period show, and the director and the producers they they want everything to have a kind of a kind of muted look because yeah. that's what we're used to seeing in old sepia tinted photographs from the past. You know, mm. and I think that's <laughs> one of the things that was such a joy to work with Wes Anderson because of was because he 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 uses so much color and he takes those little anomalies from history and he really builds on them um yeah whereas a lot of the time if i do a period tv show like we're going we're going for that muted look and it's it's just not true i mean the victorians loved color Uh Uh (laughs) and it wasn't muted and faded back in the day it's no muted and faded now which shows what is what are your levels of of research i it has to be extraordinary um and i think this would be where a lot of our listeners a lot of the max attendees would probably gain a lot from you is where do you dig how how do you have you found anything that is so super resourceful that you can share that would be a great tip for period style vibe my best tip for finding pieces of research material is probably the library of congress website in the states they have such a great archive and they're also really good with legal clearance which is really important in filmmaking so we we can often we can often apply for permission to use actual historical pieces um, and reproduce them so so they're a great resource um um, I often go to museums and galleries. Like when I worked on a TV show about the Titanic, I ended up flying to Glasgow to their archive at the university there to look at their old ship drawings. Um, I mean, I use the internet as well, of course, but it's, it can be tricky. Like, yeah. you know, Google image search, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't really be like the last port of call because Good call, it yeah. can be a bit of a wild goose chase. And mm-hmm. sites like pinterest and um things like that are great for 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 gathering bits of inspiration but nothing is really catalogued properly so it's very difficult to know what the size of something was or the texture i would just find that to be a project roadblock all the time all the time yeah yeah the the best the uh, another great tip actually is to just buy things from ebay Mm -hmm. so don't look at a picture of a telegram on your screen actually order a telegram they're only about you can you can get real old telegrams for a few few dollars like maybe five ten dollars yeah and then you can hold it in your hands you know what what the scale of the text is like you know what the texture of the paper is like and you also know if you turn it over what's going to be printed on the back because Mm. no nobody really scans nobody will showcase things that's a a really good point yeah Yeah. your ebay that's a perfect idea i remember needing needing 
reference of a tricycle and for some reason someone thought of going on ebay not only did we find one but it was a mile away and it was like 20 <laughs> bucks and so we you're right you get to see everything you get to see how the the, the chip act the paint actually chipped or the swoop of the fender or whatever it was and i i think that's wow that's a but this library of congress thing I, i've already bookmarked yeah. it that's well, great like you can google like all right vintage you know postcard right. it's like well the problem right. is that i find nowadays is like well these are all just people that just designed a vintage style right. card right. like they're not actually authentically old right. or, or vintage they're just mm. like titled that. yeah so google search i agree tough. i think the word vintage is really tricky i never oh. i never i never write vintage in google search um or because retro what, what you get is retro yeah, yeah exactly um, yeah. so it's it's better to find things from a very certain period like i don't know postcard 194 july 1945 and then yeah. and then work from there right yeah. yeah well do you want to talk with talk a little bit about this more recent fake love letter journey of yours I would love to get into this. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so I pub- <laughs> I published my book this year, which had the very long, I realize now, title of... Um, oh, God, I can't even remember. How, well, it's so long, I can't even remember <laughs> the title. So- <laughs> um, it's, called, it's called Fake Love Letters, Forged Telegrams, and Prison Escape Maps, Designing Graphic Props for Filmmaking. God. Um, so Perfect. that was published in it. February, and it was actually published on... Valentine's Day, which I thought was a really nice little coincidence because yeah. it has the name, has the word Excellent. fake love letters in the title. So I, we were going to do a launch um, in New York in March in a uh, bookshop on, on Broadway. And I thought it would be nice if we made a bunch of real fake love letters to hang up in the window for Valentine's Day. Um <laughs> But I wanted to approach it the same way that I approach my film prop design, and that is to start with a real reference, because I knew that if I just made up love letters, they would just be so obviously fake. Like, <laughs> what do people really say when they write a love letter, and what do they really want as a response? So I decided the yeah. best way to get some content for this would be to ask on social media if people would be willing to look into the depths of their email wow. archives and dig out old e- emails to or from their ex or current partners and then give me permission to turn those emails into physical objects as so if they cool. were props from a kind of mid-century Perfect. movie or something yeah so it was kind of fun i wasn't sure if i wasn't sure if i would get many responses because i had a quick look in my email archive and i very quickly was like oh my god i can't use anything <laughs> anything from this you know I, I couldn't even read it um so i wasn't sure how many people would respond but i actually got i, I got almost 200 responses from people oh, saying please use this this is a letter i wrote to somebody you know a few years ago or this is a letter somebody sent to me um everybody gave permission uh both the sender and the receiver of the letters that i oh, chose wow. and wow. yeah that's i could see getting the sender but get the receiver <laughs> be like <laughs> no doubt but they all probably chose to remain Beautiful. anonymous right they mostly did yeah nearly everybody asked to ask for their names to be changed mm-hmm. um except one or two who said it was fine who actually wanted their real names to be used because wow. weirdly they were kind of proud of the letters they had sent each other <laughs> even though they were it was utter heartbreak you know oh, but yeah. i think <laughs> once you get a bit of time and space between these things you know yeah. maybe maybe you want to you want the world to know about it did yeah. you know what time period they were coming to? Were they all rather recent or did some go way back? 
you know. They were all from the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Okay. So, so whenever people had had been using email and also still had those email addresses to search for Perfect. them. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can read you a couple of them. Yeah. I love that. Yes. Go for it. Okay. So this first one, uh, dear Lucy, timing has never quite been my forte. So here I am confessing something I should have said a long time ago. Lucy, loose, plain Lou. I shan't compare these to a summer's day, all hot and sticky. Rather a day like today, grey, wet, sullen, my most cherished forecast. You are akin to finding a cup of tea I had forgotten about and it's still being at a satisfactory temperature. I figured when you moved away would be an apt time to make this confession. Naturally, Daniel. (laughs) Wow. That is like poetry. It's so good. It is. And you're kind of tapping into these other people's worlds, which has to be an amazing project altogether. I mean, how, what a great idea. So what, it, fe- it felt like a real privilege to get an insight into other people's yeah. lives, definitely. What's yeah. your process? So, like, you, you read this, right? I assume it's just, like, text on a, you know, email. Mm. What's your process of, like, I want to bring this to life? What's step one? Are you creating the story? Are you taking little bits in these, like, pieces that they're writing Keywords. about and contextually bringing it out into, like, the physical letter that you're making? Or Well, I, mean, I had decided on a period for the shop window i wanted to do a mid-century design mm-hmm. and i use the term mid-century very loosely like <laughs> sure. i'd yeah. say mid-century is we anything from about 1930s <laughs> and maybe 1970 i don't know if that's historically accurate but yeah. it just for me in terms of graphic design for filmmaking it means there's a lot of handwriting cursive mm-hmm. handwriting with a fountain pen there's a lot of typewriters typewritten notes typewritten letters and there's a lot of telegrams and i love all three of these formats Mm -hmm. um so i decided on that period and for this letter i i did it as a typed note on an old vintage typewriter that i have in my studio um and then i did a couple of telegrams as well you know telegrams are things that come up time and time again in a film uh yeah. Like if you if you have a film set set in in the period of the telegram, the director is going to want to put a telegram in because it's such a it's such a an yeah. old form of it's communication. Rich. Yeah. It's rich. It's so iconic. You know? Yeah, that's so yeah. neat. I, I have a telegram here. I'll read that one to you as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, I know we've not spoken in years, and you're soon to be a married woman. But if you change your mind, just call me. Five years, ten, twenty, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are in the world, I'll come and get you. Andrew. Wow. <laughs> Straight to the point. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. No fluff there, right? Yeah. Like, w- wow. And that could, you think about that, that instantly tells me 1920, 1930. Like, right? It yeah. almost starts telling the story for you. I can, I, <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that. And wow. in reality, this was written about 15 years ago, and it was sent as an email. And the woman who sent it to me said she never contacted him. Because she she was getting married to the man that she loved, until she saw this project on Instagram, and then she contacted him to ask permission to use it in the love letter project. And good and for him. He's like, definitely, yeah, that's one of my best work. Please. He's did like, you it find worked. that people were just kind of willing to share, or did you would you follow up with secondary questions about after having read? the the letter for the first time like how did did they offer this information because that's just so interesting i mean 
what was his response? Was he shocked? Oh my gosh, I forgot that I wrote that to you. How are you doing? Are you considering this? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I did follow up with all of them because I, they they all, they all had content in them that made me want to know more. Um, so I did ask questions and I did make sure people had permission and I did get some, some more info on, on what had gone down in in these various relationships. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a fun project. Like it's such a uniquely fun project. What did you get out of it? Like what, when it was all, and you got to do a shop and put on display, like what was the reward? No, I didn't get to do anything uh, because (laughs) because it was on Valentine's Day. Oh, that's right. It was on Valentine's Day that I collected all the letters and then I published them on my Instagram. So uh-huh. that was really fun. Okay. But yes. then the shop window, which was supposed to be in March, was cancelled. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, the Instagram thing was fun because it, I, I published them all on, on Valentine's Day. And I did a bit of a build up to it. And lots of people were saying, this is the first Valentine's Day I've actually been looking forward to because they Aww. were going to get to read all these other <laughs> wow. love letters. Um, and some of them were really heartbreaking. And some of them were very funny. And... Um, there was, I, I think I made 14 in total, um, but we never okay. displayed them. Yeah. So okay. um, now and yeah. I'm assuming that cancellation was with respect to COVID. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I mean, <sighs> I'm curious, like, you know, you work in an industry that kind of, I assume, was shut down right now and it's it's been sort of slowly maybe coming back. But overall, I mean, the film industry is like kind of just, you know, on pause. And so yeah. I'm curious, you know, how, where are you, where are you standing? I know that you do a lot, most of your work in this, but are yeah. you being forced to sort of pivot, find these other avenues, you know, to, to, to either one, make a living and two, just like find some Express. creative outlets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm curious, like creatives are having to pivot right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm very curious of how you're handling this. Yeah. I mean, the whole film industry just got put on hold really. Um, I didn't mind too much because I wanted a break. Um, sure. <laughs> I'd been I'd been really really working on so many different projects all at once, and then everything came to a crashing standstill. And I kind of just made the most of it and made some of my own artwork. Things are picking up again now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that one of the weirdest things though wasn't not working on a movie. It was that there were no movies released. Mm there was no talk of movies. There was yeah. no, it's, it, it's like movies just completely disappeared Yeah. Um, for people who work in the, in the industry and also people who just like go to the cinema. Yeah. Um, so it'll be nice now. I'm, the thing I'm looking forward to most is actually films being released again and getting to go to the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I know. I know. Absolutely. Me so you feel I like it's, everybody is. <laughs> it's, it's been ramping it kind of slowly. And I, I think we're seeing the same, uh, knowing a lot of people in LA and, work in the business here. I'm hearing them slowly but surely going back. The process is starting because you, you're right. Not only was it on pause as production, but there was nothing new uh, in these, in the uh, being released for quite a long time. And you wonder, uh, you know, are people going to get used to like, how are they going to welcome this stuff back? And I can't wait to, you're right. I can't wait till that happens so we can experience all that, all that again, even the amount of television production that's rivaling movies i'm sure like you were saying uh, penny dreadful and others that are television based are just as demanding as the film world right, right. if not more because of the series and the yep. uh, you talk a lot sometimes. about continuity yeah um two hours is a lot different than a whole season right it's so yeah. different thank you for saying this because i've been saying this for years because you know 
there's a lot of people who just work in TV and a lot of people who just work in film and I do a little mm. bit of both. Yeah. Um, and I really think TV is so much harder than film. Um, and our production values now are really high. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like the olden days when I started out, like back in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, um, when everyone who worked in TV really wanted to work in film. Um, now everybody who works in film wants to work in TV because that's where the audiences are. You know, if you get a call about a new Netflix yeah. series, you're on yeah. it because you know people are going <laughs> to yeah. see it. And well, right. Absolutely. With the stability, the stability is there. There's Makes stability in, in working in it as well because you get a much longer run. So you might work for, I don't know, like nine, oh, ten months point. of the year on a TV series. Yeah. But you also might get asked back for a second season. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing better than working on the second season of a TV oh. show because you already have so much research and so much in your back oh, pocket. Yeah. The, the foundation <laughs> is there. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. I always marvel. I, like, I think, too, you get like something like Stranger Things is a perfect example of it's in the same category, but they do elevate to a few years later and things do change in the production design. You know, it, it's getting very eighties now where it used to look very seventies. And so I love seeing that, uh, even yeah. in, in, in television stuff. I, what I'm curious, what's, how do you work? Are you independent yourself? Do you have others that are part of your team and do you come on board with the production? Like, do you work from home? What, what's that like? The, these days I'm I'm independent days. and I work from I work mostly remotely. I have done for the last couple of years. Before then, I used to go to the location or the studio wherever they were making the film, and I worked within the art department there. But okay. these days, I work from my own studio, Great. and I do a little bit on lots of different movies and TV shows. Did that come more um, in time because maybe reputation and. Everything else now, you it's better to work from your own studio than having to be on location? Yeah, I just got really lucky. You know, I worked with a couple of really great production designers early on in my career. And then when I decided to start a family, I had my little boy four years ago. Hmm. I wanted to stay in Dublin more and work remotely more. And they were all really willing to, to make that work, which was great. Because four years ago, that wasn't really happening in the film industry, you know. Now... Like remote work is a yeah. completely different ball game. Like everybody's doing it. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't so much like that back then. Usually, you know, back then you really had to be within yelling distance of like the prop master or the set yeah. decorator. <laughs> but now, now we can do it all by email. It's fine. So, so creating these pieces. I mean, do you do you sort of live in like the digital realm, and then the prop master might actually create the production of like an envelope or a box or something, or do you have to? get in there and silk screen if it's hand done or i mean is that part of your job as I'm well or is it just finish. like yeah, yeah it varies from production to production really um uh on some jobs i will actually make the pieces myself mm -hmm. and fedex them like i worked i did a few pieces for the the new west side story remake that's coming oh, out yeah. soon well i hope it's coming out soon i don't know when it's coming out actually um and with that, I, I actually just FedExed all the pieces from here in Dublin to New York. Um, <laughs> That's cool. I, th I think I, I only worked on one one set for that. It was a street scene, so shop, shop front signage. Um, and then on other jobs, I might just do everything digitally and send digital files. And then a graphic designer on the other end uh, takes care of all the printing. The, the mm -hmm. production. Okay. Such a cool yeah. variety you get to mix with, you know? Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it, it is a good variety. It's fun. Like I switch 
kind of all day back and forth between my computer and my drawing board and cutting mat and things. Yeah, I, yeah. I like mm -hmm. that. What what do you do? I know you mentioned a little bit something about the difference between fiction and nonfiction, right? Like, um, I think you were talking about box trolls and how it's an imaginary world. It's not yeah. a period piece. Animated, yeah. Right? But it's not based on like 1920s art deco and you can go and research it. So how do you attack something that is almost a make-believe world and come up with these these crazy ideas? Yeah. Well, I would actually say that everything we make for a film starts with a real historical reference, even if it's for a completely imaginary world. So even for something like The Box Trolls, which is a, a, a an animated movie about all these trolls who live under the ground and they wear cardboard boxes for clothes. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's a fun premise. Um, but we still started with real references and everybody on the movie did. You know, the set designers were starting with architecture from the 1300s or whenever. Um, and then we just develop those things. And we do this with the Wes Anderson films as well. You know, we always start with a real piece and we just keep developing it and keep developing it until we turn it into something that works for the script, the plot, the character, the genre. Um, and these things can end up looking quite different. Mm. But because because they started with something real, it gives them that air of authenticity and I think I think that word authentic is quite important because something that feels authentic is different to something that feels realistic mm. necessarily like we're not hell-bent on realism like yeah. you know we're not we're not sticklers for historical accuracy and I don't think we have to be um, yeah mm -hmm. yeah but 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 in the beginning phase creative phase for a production like the box trolls you there, there's that teamwork component, right? You're meeting oh, totally. and conceptualizing with other individuals of various roles that have begun drawing and animating, right? To know the overall style approach that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, sure. And with an animated feature, you know, that process is much longer than on a live action feature because in animation, you really are creating everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. And the style is a very carefully designed style. Um, so on the box trolls, for example, um, we hand drew all the graphics. We didn't use a font anywhere in the movie whatsoever. Oh, wow. um, and we also didn't use a ruler R yeah. anywhere in the artwork. So all the lines in the movie, whether it was a line on a drawing, a, a graphic drawing or a piece of set design, a piece of architecture, all the lines were hand drawn and the line weight varied in thickness from point to point. Like basically we were drawing wobbly lines. I love um, it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that think... is a part of the style that is so lovely. Because yeah. it matches yeah. the architecture and everything in the set design, right? No straight yeah. lines. And I think it really, yeah. it, it was time consuming, but you do have more time in animation um, mm -hmm. because it takes so much longer to shoot. You do have more time to develop a style. Um, and I think like that, that kind of wobbly line look, it really added to, to the, to the look of the movie and it gave everything very, um, uh, I, I, you know, it, it, it gave it a lot of energy somehow because mm -hmm. remember, at the end of the day, these are just lumps of clay, you know, mm -hmm. in, in stop motion. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it had it had a great kinetic energy, um, and that all came from the production designer. Mm -hmm. That's cool. well, so even still, it had to have action. I yeah, yeah, and 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 like I just the logistics is so hard for me to wrap my head around because like <laughs> is it 
because there's so much I assume you have to make for a film. But like, I know, I know. Is it something yeah. as they hand you a script and like go through and figure out what you need, highlight areas you need to for pieces we need, or is it like do they send you a brief with a breakdown of every item? Like, are you is it part of your job to fabricate what you might need for this scene that might not be in the script, or? Is someone else kind of like breaking things down? Like, here's the scene. Here's a list of items we'll need. Yeah. So, um, again, that varies from production to production. But sometimes I do my own script breakdown. I read the script and do my own breakdown and figure out uh, what needs to be made for where and when. Yeah. And that will include me interpreting something like a scene that says an office scene and has no more details, and I'll know that we need filing cabinets full of documents, we'll need notice boards, we'll need box files, blah, 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 all this stuff. Um, So I'll put those into the script breakdown. Um, And then other times I'll work on a job, um, like I made a few pieces for the Joker movie last year, um, and that was all being taken care of in New York, and the art department's coordinator, I think, just literally sent me a list and says, we've got an (laughs) office scene and we need x many box files and we need uh-huh. so many posters for the walls and yeah. then i just get on with it like that <laughs> so it's kind of nice i, I like working both ways sure um quite and they trust you on it they trust they know how you're going to fill in the read between the lines really in a lot of ways yeah i mean i think that's what i mean when i said you need to be within yelling distance of the set decorator <laughs> because someone's always going to want to walk into your room and say i've got another two notice boards to fill where's all the paperwork yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah generally they trust you to get on with it Uh, (laughs) no that's really cool do do you do you recommend to designers looking into this industry i know a lot of i teach and i have a lot of students that the first thing they say is uh, entertainment 100 percent, like want to go there and and it could be just an la thing but give us a just a glimpse of what it's like for you just on a daily basis i mean it's you're doing phenomenal work and i think it it shows in your delivery that you love what you do, but is this something you would like recommend to the young designers? Um, I do, like sometimes they get letters from people uh, who want to get into graphic design for film, but they're not from a graphic design background. And I uh. definitely recommend an education in graphic design. Like you mm-hmm. really need to know your onions about typography and layout design and all these things even if you're like working on a movie set in the middle ages you know Mm -hmm. Um, and I think sometimes people assume that you don't need to because they're like just props Um, but certainly I think I think the graphic I think a graphic design education is way more important than a film education yeah like if you want to get into the film industry the best way in is to go in with a craft Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember you know I did a screenwriting course years and years ago And I remember at the end of it, someone asked the question, you know, film and the entertainment industry seems like such a closed door. It really feels like there's a lot of nepotism and you really need to know someone who knows someone to get in. And I'll never forget what the teacher said in response. She thought about it for a moment and she said, yeah, I think there is truth in this, but the easiest way to get to know someone is to introduce yourself to them. And if you can introduce yourself to someone in the film industry with a craft, with a portfolio of work, um, with something that they need, then that's going to be much more valuable to them than being the producer's cousin. Yeah. yeah. Then, and then I, having that connection. Yeah, that networking connection. Yeah, that's really and pretty. so you, yeah. d- I mean, you, you have that in your experience then, no? You must. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when I got the job on Grand Budapest Hotel, I hadn't really done a feature film before. I'd done an animated feature and I'd done a few TV shows, but I wasn't like incredibly experienced in film. So you film. started on a small independent movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, like, that's like, amazing. Like the most demanding one. That you've God. Done. Yeah. That's but incredible. What I- but what I had done was a very small kind of crap TV show about the Titanic, which this was like back in 2010 or something. Uh, and um, it, went, it actually went straight to Netflix, which at the time was not a good thing. Now it's a good thing yeah. to go straight to Netflix, but at the time it wasn't. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Um, but because it was about the building of the Titanic, it was set in 1912 and... It was full of telegrams and newspapers and posts, less press posters. And I really threw myself into that job. I mm. made a great portfolio out of that job because I was fascinated by the period and I wanted everything to be brilliant. You know, it doesn't really matter what, what the script is like at the end of the day. What matters mm-hmm. is the work that you create. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. when I got a phone call from Wes Anderson's producers looking for a European graphic designer, they really wanted to see examples of telegrams and... Mm. early early 1900s cigarette boxes and things and I had all of these things in my portfolio and that's all they needed to see you know that's what that's what Wes was looking for like they weren't looking for somebody who had great connections or networking skills or someone who had worked on 20 different feature films before Mm -hmm. they just wanted to see see the props that were relevant to the period they were then there's no there's no coaching that training that's all under your belt already you this Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah and that is just I don't know. I can't say that's just entirely coincidental. It's just so great that that could be a part of your por- your proposal. I mean, there's bids, there's estimates, and then there's proposals. And we often talk about on the show about proposals and what what is that manifesto oomph that makes it yes. a, that that featured g- grab getting pr- proposal. And you hit it. I mean, you had you struck gold with that. That's just awesome. Oh, I struck gold. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't thank my lucky stars for that job. You know, it's just, it's absolutely wonderful getting to work with Wes Anderson. You know, I don't think there's a filmmaker who's more beloved, who also has such an interest in graphic design and mm-hmm. using graphics as a character in his yeah. filmmaking, you know, so it's it's always a treat. Wow. And, and you had your backup it's the, the, the stars aligned, but you were there with stuff to back it up. And I, I always think that's like yeah. the thing. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not luck. It's great timing, but you had something, you know, yeah. how, how do you put yourself out there? Like I, we have a lot of listeners and I'm sure Adobe Max is going to be tons more young designers. How do you put yourself out there for the work, um, presenting yourself? I know a lot of times you can't show the stuff that you're working on yeah, based on that's... confidentiality or other things or who owns it, let's say. So what advice do you have to the young designer that wants to find that that next great job or ne- next client? Yeah, I, a lot of work I can't put online at all. And sometimes my workshop students ask me if, if I think they need like a big Instagram profile. And I think maybe you do in other areas of design. I'm not sure. But I don't think you do in filmmaking. Like hardly anybody I know who works in filmmaking is on Instagram. <laughs> um, that's yeah. that's not how I get hired. Yeah. Um, I I don't think I've ever got any film job from from being on social media. Um, mm-hmm. I I get my work hmm. by building up my portfolio, and I always tell my workshop students, you know, don't wait for permission, don't wait for yes. a job offer, 
don't wait for a role. You know, you can make your best work mm. now. I, I know everybody's busy and we've all got day jobs and family life and things, but I think you really have to like take some time to yourself in the evenings to build up a, a, a portfolio of work. And you don't need clients. You don't. You don't need a brief. You know, you can set your own briefs. I set. I set my workshop students briefs, and um, they have a lot of fun with it. And I think you should make things that you have fun with. You know, and um, build up a body of work that you can then show to people in in film art departments. You know, look look at the credits list on any movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a graphic designer listed. If that graphic designer has a website with their email address on it, like shoot them off an email and say, if you need an extra pair of hands on your next thing, um, I have got a huge array of work from <laughs> 1875, which you might be interested in. Yeah, just go for it. Yeah, which by the way, I mean, in a way you're kind of a historian. This this is just me on a personal level. I I got my first D in history in high school. I it intimidates the shit out of me. Oh my gosh! I mean, and you—that has to be a part of your passion as well. I mean, well, I don't think the historians on Twitter would call me a historian. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, I all I do is upset the real historians. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I said, we're not sticklers for historical accuracy in filmmaking. We need we need a little bit of artistic license, you know. Uh, our priority is always the story, yeah. not not the history, really. Um, but it does feel it does feel like I'm quite lucky to get to delve really deep into certain historical periods. Like I've definitely learned a lot more about certain periods than I ever would have done if I hadn't worked on shows about them. Like the Tudors, Henry VIII. Um, I've done a lot of Victorian TV dramas. I feel like I know way too many facts about horrible Victorian diseases than I, than I should do. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun. I like it. I like, I like learning about, about different times and places that might not necessarily have crossed my path before. Yeah, I think that would be very motivating. I, I think that that would just, you know, you're constantly on your feet and there's all these areas that you, you still need to learn. I mean, it's a part of consulting in a way, right? For the three of us maintaining our independent practices, we oftentimes are the creative consultant, right? Well, if we didn't have the chance to dip into all these different industries, verticals, fields of, of, of knowledge and market of the world, I wouldn't know nearly the extent of what I know now. I learned so Mm. much from all these different accounts and that's what keeps me going. Would you guys argue the same? I mean, similarly for you, if there weren't this range of film of all, from all these different eras, that would be a little dry, perhaps. We're lucky right? in that way. We we get yeah. to talk about so you know whatever industries we touch, or in your case, you know like whatever stories you touch and whatever time periods and history. To me, it, it makes for such a more vivid career. Mm, mm. That's where we're lucky, mm. I think. You know, and I'm like extremely like just like yeah. I love hearing you talk about this because I'm like. I'm jealous of that kind of stuff. I would love to do that kind yeah. of stuff. It's yeah. so interesting. You know, I'm sure you probably get that a lot. And you're just saying, wow, I'm, I, I love my job. But you, do you see it in that perspective? 
Yeah, I definitely see it in that perspective. Yeah. And, you know, years and years ago, before I made the move to filmmaking, I worked in advertising and I was a junior designer in an ad mm. agency. And I found that I was doing the same work over and over again, kind of working to templates from my seniors. And I really craved mm -hmm. doing something different and I wanted to be more challenged. And I also felt like I wasn't really very good at design. I, I don't think I was at that point. I was only like 23. Um, and I decided to move to <laughs> filmmaking with this idea that I wanted to be challenged every day. And now I am challenged every day. <laughs> Maybe a little too much. <laughs> and yeah. it's, really, it's really hard work. And that's why I always say to people like, oh yeah, get on the second series of a TV show. It's much easier. You've got everything you need in your back pocket, you know? Yeah, that, that template framework wow. is there. And that's understandable. Yeah. Well, you, did, you had mentioned that, you know, there's been a little bit of a, an awakening for us when things started to slow down. You know, granted, they've picked up again, but recognizing that moment of why family's too important my sleep is too important i want to appreciate this meal i want to make the time to make the homemade um pie instead of buy yeah. it at the store because that's what i did in the in march when things got really serious and yeah. now knowing that you make you make the time and put your foot down and say no i can't reach that timeline um yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I remember at the beginning of the lock lockdown, there was a phrase, uh, there was a little uh, tweet being passed around that said uh, Shakespeare wrote King Lear under quarantine. Do you remember that one? Yes, yes. I, I just saw it the other day for the first time. That's interesting. Okay, yeah. it took a while uh, to get over here. <laughs> okay, and you know. I, I thought that was a lot. I thought that was too much pressure, to be honest. But um, but I do remember having those panicky feelings at the beginning of lockdown, thinking like, well, what am I going to produce with all this time that I'm mm -hmm. going to have on my hands, you know? But two things, like, first of all, Shakespeare probably wasn't required to play Lego for eight hours a day with his preschooler. And also, <laughs> I think my feelings about my creative output levels have changed quite dramatically through all this, because... You know, in my previous life, before March of this year, I used to juggle a lot of creative client work with my prop making work and my mm -hmm. own personal artwork and also like things like content for social media. And having had a bit of a break, I'm now suspicious that maybe creativity is overrated like it's yeah. okay in moderation Thank okay you. like okay. we don't sure. we don't need to be creating oh, like I can breathe now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone really else feels the same <laughs> yeah make some time to make a pie you know like yeah i'm baking bread <laughs> <laughs> right on nick hell yeah, yeah. no yeah. i love the way you said that my god yeah me too it was great so you're giving yourself these these freedoms now and these and these like you're right, like don't agree to the crazy deadline. Like maybe there's a way to still do it without saying yes all the time. Yeah, say no to more things, definitely. Yeah. 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 Don't 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 always feel that you you have to say like, yes, I can make that work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, actually, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud. No, here, no, you know? no, I mean, yes. That's healthy. And, and we've talked to a few other creatives for this and just like, you know, over the last months. And I, and I think like, if there's one sort of commonality is we were all forced as creatives to like, stop and have a panic when, you know, things are shutting down and like, what's the future going to be like? It forced a pause. And I think through that, a lot of people are coming to this realization of like, 
shit, I think my workaholism or like it, it was a little out of, you know, balance or like yeah. I was putting priority in the wrong perspectives. And like I just it's interesting to see creators like take that step back and like be less defined by always having to create something, you know, yes. and, and be defined yes. by whatever your output is. Yes. Versus like I want to build some Lego and make a pie. Like that sounds like a good day. Right. <laughs> and it, even personally, like that was something I've had to sort of figure mm-hmm. out and refocus of where I should put those priorities in. And, and saying no is something I think we all have to start to figure out eventually. And we do, but it is definitely that hurdle of, you know, yeah. make it work for you. And also it's okay if you don't put, you know, 10 social media posts out, or if you're not being able to show your work or, you know, just, I think there's oh, more to that. Yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting sort of industry uniformity that's happened since COVID. I think everyone's starting to get in, uh, getting that splash of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my mum died at the beginning of the lockdown. She oh. uh, she was diagnosed with cancer in early March, and it was quite a quick oh, wow. diagnosis. Yeah. Wow. We had three weeks together. And she died on the first day that the regulations came into play in the UK. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, so that's been that's been difficult uh, this this year, you know. Um, but she was a wildlife illustrator. She studied at Goldsmiths in London. Really? And when she, when she was younger, she drew every single day, and she always said that good, good drawing was just practice. You just had to work at it. And one of my favourite sketches of hers is of me when I was one day old in the hospital, which I, I we still have in our I, family I saw home. this post, and That's it's amazing. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I love it. You know, and um, so 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 she was drawing in the hospital a day after giving birth. You know, so she she was someone who who took her artwork pretty seriously in her time, yeah. you could say. Mm-hmm. But you know what? At the end of her life in the hospice, when it was me and my brother and my dad and all her old friends coming in to visit, like none of us spoke about work or art or design yeah. or creativity or anything yeah. like that. Like all my mum wanted to talk about was funny memories about trips we'd made together or places she'd been with her friends um so it it has made me think about you know what's really important and i point point taken absolutely there's something to be said about that i mean yeah yeah. oh i just saw the picture it's beautiful isn't it oh my gosh that's really something it's It's so so good good. (laughs) and and i love that you know like that do you have i have a lineage to what my dad and what my mom did as their careers, do you feel, I can't imagine how proud you must feel like there's this thing that you do that your mom did as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my dad's Creatives share that a lot. Yeah. My dad's a designer too. So they run a small, small design practice in North Wales. They make, um, or they made information boards for like points of scenic interest, you know? Cool. Um, yeah. So it's, they, they make some kind of nice stuff and, um, yeah, like it's it's definitely like a, a family thing. You know, there was never any question that I was also going to be a designer of some kind, which is really nice. But I also realized like what I what could a... just see it. <laughs> Annie, you're gonna be a designer. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but but I also realize like what a privilege that is, you know, because I have a lot of workshops. This, this has been so wonderful. My, we're already, I mean, that, this flew by for me, um, and, and I knew they that don't this have was going support, to happen. You know, in fact, they um, face a lot of opposition. We didn't totally get into a role in the, design. So um, whenever I'm at a design conference, like I really try to encourage people to go for um, it series because yeah. you've, you've yeah. made so beautifully. You know, art is not like the dead end. But we'll just it has this weird reputation of being outside of design circles. There's so many jobs. They're wonderful and it's great on top of that yeah. and current yeah so this I really try to be living encouraging right now. this could be the new norm so to, to get um, into things because I, I was very lucky you know uh to grow up the way I did yeah and have that support and also just I think anyone who can find a career in something they're going to do oh well you know I actually drew up that Shakespeare like working there and a quarantine quote into a poster for my COVID poster series so I think that's um but I don't I don't really believe in it so I also made one as an antidote to that which just says relax your productivity is not your worth and that had been sent in to me by one of my Instagram followers it's so wonderful that our industry has changed something and there are so many areas and avenues to go into it, it that it's like it, it, it's so robust for anyone to enter. And I always love that. Like, I feel like we're the ones that have the happy stories or the great stories to talk about what our day is like, or maybe an issue or issue, something, we, we, a rewarding moment of our careers. And I don't see that a lot in a, in a lot of other careers or industries, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just biased to where we're at, but that's how I see it. You know, yeah, yeah. probably buying it because it's I mean, it's filled with gems, true gems. Um, it's, it's in the cart. <laughs> it, no, it, I, yeah, literally, my name is on right It's now in mine, the too. I know. <laughs> it's I, so I locked pretty. that in yesterday. I mean, I'm a sucker for any sort of like reference fun source stuff to get inspired by. And like this is just everything that checks my boxes. I think your your work is just really, really outstanding stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. And honestly, thank you to everybody who, who's bought my book and who pre-ordered it because the launch was cancelled. The tour was cancelled. Oh, Everything sure. was cancelled. Um, yeah. But I got it'll, some it'll lovely... Yeah, we'll yeah, definitely got... link it for sure. And, you know, it got me thinking there may be another time down the line where those love letters will... I mean, if you have them handy still, mm-hmm. I mean, they're still in good shape, right? If, you, if they're stored in a safe place, that that day may come eventually anyhow. Yeah, know? I hope so. I hope so. I hope that one day we can all travel again and, and go to exhibitions and, mm-hmm. and it's just been delayed yeah. that's that's yeah. how i yeah, that's how i'm just, getting by <laughs> i like I like the, yeah. the word pause was mentioned before that's this what is it great. is we we yeah. love talking to people that are just slightly different from where we're at and it's so good to bring in a cool perspective our listeners and i'm sure tons of people from Madoya Max are going to get so many good takeaways from this that was awesome yeah absolutely this has been very refreshing and annie she it's eight hours ahead for her there at nighttime and she trooper put her little boy <laughs> down to to sleep and able was able to step on with us so that's that's very much appreciated thank you oh you're welcome yeah it's it looks like it's my bedtime now actually i know <laughs> I i'm surprised i mean you said 8 30 and i'm like i go to bed when my son goes to bed i'm spent yeah. <laughs> she's like i've already been in bed for two hours <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you no, thank uh, you for having me on. It's been so fun talking to you all. Likewise. Yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to uh, everything else you got going on and stuff you're going to put out in the future. Thanks, Annie. Okay, bye. Good night. Bye.